Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Deeper Than Data, a Data's six-episode summer podcast series. I'm Emily Jackson. And I'm Daniel Abuaji. And we're your hosts. Since 1946, the United States has provided over $160 billion in development assistance to its neighbors in the Caribbean. We very close to them if there's an earthquake or something, like the ones that happened in Haiti, we have more capabilities and we can get to them quickly. After a magnitude 7 earthquake struck Haiti in January of 2010, President Barack Obama pledged American support for the relief efforts and designated USAID as the coordinating agency. I pledged America's continued commitment to the government and the people of Haiti in the immediate effort to save lives. The USAID Office of Foreign Disaster Assistance established a response management team and deployed a disaster assistance response team, or DART, to Haiti the following day. Within 24 hours of the earthquake, U.S. resources were on the ground coordinating with the Haitian government. I think what we've seen in Haiti is, especially after a crisis, there is an urgency to do things quickly. Every minute, every second counts. According to the RAND Corporation, the response to the 2010 Haiti earthquake was the U.S. military's largest international disaster relief effort in history, and the U.S. military was the single largest contributor to the overall effort in terms of personnel and capabilities. While the U.S. remains a primary source of development assistance for the Caribbean due to its proximity, non-traditional donors from around the globe are beginning to play a major role in regional development. New development partners such as China and Brazil are providing increased levels of assistance to countries in both the Lesser and Greater Antilles. In many ways, this is a positive development. It means that more resources can be made available to people in need. But as new actors enter the development marketplace in the Caribbean, it becomes more difficult to coordinate the use of those resources effectively. Governments, international organizations, and civil society groups often don't know who has already donated what and where the greatest need is. As the Caribbean development marketplace has become more diverse in recent years, the region has been faced with the challenge of coordination and communication among many donors. Fortunately, new methods of tracking and synthesizing data are becoming available to fill in gaps in information. Media-sourced information and open aid management platforms are two emerging ways of recording commitments, disbursements, and projects. This week we spoke with Captain Kofi Abawaji, former chief of the U.S. Military Liaison Office to the Lesser Antilles. The U.S. has had a very complicated relationship with the, those uh, seven countries. And Dina Abdel Fattah, Senior Associate at Development Gateway, who manages the Aid Management Platform Project in Haiti. We're taking a closer look at the relationship between the U.S. and its Caribbean partners. How does the emergence of new financing opportunities change the landscape of development in the Caribbean? What are the benefits and risks of a highly diversified aid marketplace? Can open data make a difference in the distribution of development dollars? Stay with us. In 1997, Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Central America and the Caribbean, John R. Hamilton, said, This is a region with which we share strong ties of history and culture. The nations of the Caribbean are our closest neighbors and good friends. The history of U.S.-Caribbean relations is long and winding. 
European colonialism, transatlantic trade, military intervention, and imperialism all shaped the complicated ties and asymmetrical power dynamic between the U.S. and the region to its south. The good neighbor policy established in the 1930s marked a change of tune for U.S. foreign policy in the region as non-interference and non-intervention became two main focus points. After World War II, a series of international agreements and organizations established between the U.S. and the Caribbean signified greater interdependence and alliance between the country and region. These included the Inter-American Treaty of Reciprocal Assistance, or RIO Pact, the creation of the Organization for American States, or OAS, and the founding of the Inter-American Development Bank, or IDB. Despite the growing partnerships between the U.S. and Caribbean states, the significant economic and political power disparity between the two has often led to asymmetrical diplomacy. Late 20th century military interventions in Haiti, Grenada, and Cuba can be seen as evidence of this asymmetrical power dynamic. However, a new paradigm is emerging in the Caribbean. We're going to start today by talking about development in the Lesser Antilles. The U.S. has had a very complicated relationship with the, those uh, seven countries. I will characterize my time there as a time when we happen to be in a big transition. That's Captain Kofi Abouaji. Uh, one of my rotational assignments in 2006 to eight was as the chief of the military liaison office in Barbados. The U.S. Embassy in Barbados is in charge of the Eastern Caribbean countries. I also was part of the country team. So each embassy has a country team that involves a lot of U.S. agencies, agriculture, commerce, uh, of course, State Department itself, FBI, and some of the other um, organizations. We're talking to him about how the influx of aid to the Lesser Antilles changed during his time working there. A quick search on Aid Data's dashboard showed us that from 1973 to 2012, the U.S. provided $2.5 billion in assistance to the Lesser Antilles. Current USAID projects in the Lesser Antilles include programs for economic growth, youth empowerment, the eradication of HIV-AIDS, and environmental management. But U.S. aid levels to the Caribbean fell each fiscal year after the 2010 earthquake as Congress sought to trim the foreign aid budget and countries were seen to require less assistance. In the vacuum created by shrinking U.S. aid to the Caribbean, non-traditional development partners see a potential opportunity. China, India, and Brazil are making sizable investments in the Lesser Antilles, increasing the amount of resources flowing into the region. This change means that aid and aid projects are now more diverse, and at times they're more chaotic and more difficult to track. Captain Abawaji told us about one day discovering an enormous aid project in Antigua and Barbuda. So I walk into Antigua and Barbuda, and there's this huge hospital that came out of nowhere, and I say, what is that? This is an awkward silence. He's talking about the Mount St. John's Medical Center in St. John's Parish on the island of Antigua. This hospital was built in 2009 and is now the main medical care facility in the country. Basically, China had come and built in the hospital, maybe not necessarily equipped properly, but instead of opening the books and tell me what they have and what they need, 
it looked like they were also playing the medal. So they would shield from me what they had from other donor countries. Harnessing the potential power of diversified aid sources can be extremely valuable to developing countries. China has funded many aid projects, including stadiums, schools, hospitals, and more in the Lesser Antilles and throughout the Caribbean. In 2005, Grenada received a $55 million cricket stadium as a part of the $132 million that China spent in the region leading up to the 2007 Cricket World Cup. In 2009, China's Ministry of Commerce reported that foreign direct investment, or FDI, by Chinese firms throughout the Caribbean totaled almost $7 billion. A quick search on Aidata's dashboard showed that from 2008 to 2012, Brazil offered over $700,000 to the Lesser Antilles countries, and Kuwait sent $195.5 million in international funding to the Lesser Antilles countries from 1992 to 2012. In short, there is a huge diversity of donors and aid projects available to the Lesser Antilles and other Caribbean countries. These countries have the potential to use all of these resources in an effort to make development happen faster and more effectively. But as non-traditional development partners begin to make inroads in the region, the coordination and management of aid has become more complex. I could not look at the totality of what they have uh, to be able to help them in the right way. The lack of transparency and actionable data from non-traditional development partners has contributed to a lack of coordination between those providing assistance and Caribbean governments. Without complete cooperation and coordination between the many players now involved in Caribbean development, there is greater potential for waste and inefficiency. A lot of it gets wasted and sometimes the country doesn't, doesn't even need what you brought. During his time as liaison, Captain Abuaji found that there was a reluctance among Lesser Antilles governments to reveal which projects were being funded and by whom. Some governments preferred to collect all aid offerings and commitments without coordinating efforts in an attempt to maximize the influx of resources. Because everyone's operating sort of in the dark like that, we tended to just rely on our own because the information we were getting wasn't accurate. For instance, we had a lot of disaster assistance because Caribbean areas prone to hurricanes and earthquakes and all that. We had pre-positioned uh, packages of, you know, these warehouses on pallets uh, that had, you know, generator blankets, uh, medical supplies and all that, that we had to go around annually to inventory to be able to, some of them had explorations on them, and it was very hard to keep that data to know what it is they, they actually had. And we found ourselves just inventorying just our stuff. China, India, Brazil, and other non-DAC countries have not traditionally reported their development flows to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD. This makes it much more difficult to track their commitments. Even organizations designed to fill in the gaps left by the OECD reporting system run into roadblocks in extracting data from the non-traditional donors. According to Publish What You Fund, in a report released in 2011, only 33% of official development assistance, or ODA, was being reported to the International Aid Transparency Initiative, or IATI. Traditional and non-traditional donors alike need reliable ways to access and create aid management data. And although there have been challenges in establishing a standard of transparency across all development partners in the Caribbean, there are potential ways to detect and record unreported aid information. 
Aid Data has developed a methodology called Tracking Underreported Financial Flows, or TUF, to remotely collect and synthesize data from media reports, government documents and databases, Chinese embassy websites, NGO reports, and scholarly articles. There is a clear trade-off between data collected in the field or reported by donors and data collected through these open source methods, but the TUF methodology provides a clearer picture of aid flows that may help donors better coordinate development dollars in the future. Synthesizing data on underreported aid flows is an important step to painting a clearer picture of development finance but creating a platform for governments, institutions, and citizens to collectively view the data is just as important. The need for aid management and coordination during crisis became exceptionally clear in the wake of the 2010 earthquake that devastated Haiti. After the earthquake, um, it was obviously a very difficult time for the country. We spoke with Dina Abdelfeta about the coordination of relief following the disaster. Well, my name is Dina Abdelfeta, and I work with Development Gateway. My position currently with Development Gateway is a senior associate. I also work on a number of different projects for ADN as a project manager. She shared with us some of the difficulties that relief workers encountered in organizing and implementing interventions. I think what we've seen in Haiti is two things. We've seen the coming together of the donor community, whether that is traditional donors and non-traditional donors to really support a country that was going through a devastating aspect. But we also saw the importance and perhaps sometimes issues that have come about with the lack thereof of coordination between donors and between the governments. But Development Gateway and Aid Data are working with Haiti and other partner governments to establish a new way to track commitments, disbursements, and projects. It's called an Aid Management Platform, or AMP. Which was essentially a tool and a software system, per se, that the government has been using to track financial flows coming from from the donor community into the country. The AMP system includes software applications, technical institutional and policy support, and an open portal to view geocoded aid data. So say, for example, this is a theoretical example, um, Tuvalu pledged five, five, five million dollars to Haiti. Um, of that five million, how much did they actually commit via projects that they were undertaking in the country? And then, of course, how much did they disperse for those projects? So essentially, you could see basically the financial flow from this pledge level, a very high-level promise to the country, all the way down to the dispersed amount in the country. Using the AMP tool following the crisis in Haiti, Aid Data and Development Gateway were able to provide a comprehensive and powerful resource to policymakers, international organizations, and citizens. So it opened up in what traditionally has been a difficult situation in Haiti to really ensure that the government donor dialogue was there. Um, this data especially started to provide some opportunity to, to make sure that people at least were on the same page. Whether that did affect coordination is a different story, but at least that there was at least an opportunity to provide information in a more timely manner where necessary so that moving forward, at least donors had an opportunity to understand who was doing what where in the country. The aid management platform is designed to be flexible, making it possible to apply to partner governments all over the world. I think there is kind of a growing realization that um, not only within Development Gateway, but within the tech scene, that we need tools that are easily adaptable um, 
that can quickly respond to things as they come up. Our aid management platform is currently implemented in about 25 countries around the world. The aid management platform and similar efforts have the potential to close knowledge gaps in the increasingly complex field of Caribbean aid flows. AMP could help to improve both coordination and communication in the crucial days and weeks following a disaster. As the number of donors contributing to the region grows, so does the need for more effective aid management. Caribbean countries and other small island developing states, or SIDS, are gaining economic prominence. In addition to growth from development assistance, trade, tourism, agriculture, and remittances are all huge potential sources of independent, sustainable growth. Traditional and non-traditional development partners alike are starting to see the potential value in creating sustainable partnerships with these countries. I think at the time it made us uh, take a step back to say, look, um, in the world stage at the UN, a country as tiny as uh, St. Kitts and Nevis, they count as one vote. We need to make sure that we don't take these countries for granted. We look at their need. The U.S. and its Caribbean neighbors are inextricably linked, historically, culturally, and politically. In 2008, Ransford W. Palmer published a book titled Caribbean Economy in the Age of Globalization in which he wrote that just about every facet of the Caribbean economy is influenced by the U.S. economy. One of the things we have with the Caribbeans is throughout the years, they've sort of become part of our economy in the sense that we're more interwoven. Uh, families send out remittances to back home in a, in a large way. They really depend on that, the tourist trade, the travel back and forth and the proximity of us has made it such that there's only one plane right away. But that relationship is evolving. As non-traditional development partners begin to gain footholds in the region, the United States is no longer the sole source of development funding for the Caribbean. The landscape of development finance in the region is far more diverse today than it was 50 years ago. This change has brought with it many benefits, but has not been without challenges as well. In order to promote sustainable development, the U.S. and other developed states need to recognize the need for effective management, tracking, and coordination of the billions of dollars flowing into the Caribbean. The aid management platform and similar enterprises are a reflection of the international community rising to meet that challenge. Development partners and governments in the region have to recognize the value in cooperation and transparency. The full potential of growth and development in the Caribbean cannot be realized until all actors begin to work together and respect one another. If you liked what you heard today on Deeper Than Data, head over to Adata's blog, The First Tranche, at adata.org blog to read this week's blog post. You'll find more information on non-traditional aid, small island developing states, and the importance of transparency in developing. You can also use Aid Data's website to do your own research on aid flows in the Caribbean. Go to aiddata.org dashboard to search for aid projects by donor, recipient, sector, or activity, or go to aiddata.org maps to see geocoded data that'll tell you exactly where those aid projects are taking place. On the next episode of Deeper Than Data, we're talking about Aid Data's survey practice and the importance of communicating with decision makers in developing countries. 
Join us next week on Wednesday, July 29th for episode 5. Finally, we'd like to extend a thank you to all the minds that contributed to this episode behind the scenes. And a very big thank you to former military liaison to the Lesser Antilles and current chief of the U.S. Coast Guard Reserves, Captain Kofi Abawaji, who also happens to be my father. This is Emily Jackson and Daniel Abawaji. Thanks for listening.